This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. Welcome back to part two with some more challenging cases with the rock star, Rachel Bridwell. Let's get back to the cases. All right, Britt, what's your next case? This next case is super challenging and a scary but elusive diagnosis where time to treatment is crucial. Our third case is a 56-year-old female with a history of seizures. EMS was called for seizing. She arrives GCS3 after two doses of IM and Dazlam, 10 milligrams each dose given by EMS in the field. Completely right move by the EMS providers. She was seizing for about 20 minutes before they got to her. After the second dose, she stopped the tonic-clonic movements, but her GCS was still 3. She's not responding at all. On my exam, she has no gross or apparent seizure activity, but when we look at her eyes, they are rapidly beating to the right. This was ultimately non-convulsive status epilepticus. She had already received two doses of benzos, so at that point, we were thinking about her airway and giving her ketamine and or propofol. I worry a lot about missing the super tricky diagnosis. Britt, how common is this and what are some features to help me sleep better and not miss this? This is a tough diagnosis. Non-convulsive status epilepticus occurs in up to 50% of patients with coma or convulsive status. Now, when we look at the definition, non-convulsive status is a condition with ongoing or intermittent seizure activity without convulsions, without recovery of consciousness between the attacks, and it has to last for over 10 minutes. We'll have the details for the definition in the show notes, There's an electrographic and electroclinical definition, but either way, the official definition really requires EEG, not something that we can get in most EDs. I agree. I can never get an EEG tech to come to the ED. In fact, I am probably more likely to get a dermatologist to come to the ED. When I see these patients, Britt, what am I looking for? This is where the history and exam are super important. We can't really make the official diagnosis in the ED, but there are signs and symptoms that can strongly suggest this diagnosis. So there are two general categories for these signs and symptoms. There's negative findings. Those are impairments like aphasia, mutism, amnesia, and catatonia. And then there's also positive signs and symptoms. Those are rhythmic twitching of one or more muscle groups tonic eye deviation, hippus, or nystagmoid eye jerking. So Britt, if I find tonic eye deviation, am I locked in on the diagnosis or are there other physical exam findings? Unfortunately, there's no single clinical sign or symptom that is specific for non-convulsive status in patients with an acute change in mental status. For the most part, non-convulsive status is more common in patients with severe depression and consciousness, like coma, compared to patients with more mild alterations. There are some other factors that increase the likelihood of non-convulsive seizures, 
or non-convulsive status in a patient with altered mental status. Those are ocular movement abnormalities like sustained eye deviation or nystagmus, remote risk factors for seizure like a history of epilepsy, convulsive seizure during the current illness, and then also age less than one year. Automatisms like lip smacking and subtle motor twitches in the face or the extremities can be manifestations of non-convulsive status, but they have low specificity. That specificity was around 44% in one study. Ocular movement abnormalities are more specific. Those have a specificity over 80%. Another study found that facial or periorbital twitching was more likely to be associated with electrographic seizures than other clinical spells or movements in the critically ill patient. So really, think about non-convulsive status in patients with altered mental status and abnormal ocular movements. If they have lip smacking or subtle twitches in the face or the extremities, also if they have a history of seizures or epilepsy, or if they're supposed to be taking a medication like an anti-epileptic. Also think about this diagnosis in patients with some form of cerebral pathology, like an ischemic stroke, or in that patient who was seizing, they were treated, but they're not coming out of their post-ictal state. And then finally, in patients with unexplained altered mental status with no other cause. Now, if you think non-convulsive status is a possibility and the patient is altered, look for those life threats, check a serum glucose, and then get imaging with something like a CT. The patient will need an EEG at some point, but the key in the ED setting is just thinking about this disease. Your treatment in the ED will also be a benzo, and this might stop their seizure activity. If that happens, that's potentially diagnostic for non-convulsive status. All right, so benzos, making sure to consider this diagnosis, a really good head-to-toe exam, looking at their eyes and extremities, and don't minimize any of those subtle neuro findings. What happened next in the case, Britt? She had received 10 milligrams of midazolam IM twice, but she was still seizing. So once we got IV access, our next goal was hitting her with ketamine and propofol and then airway protection. The problem is that this was an extremely challenging airway straight out of a rich Levitan course. She had a BMI over 40, she was kyphotic, and she also had a very short neck. Complete airway disaster. So on top of this super tricky diagnosis, she was also a surprise mom potty of 12. Britt, when life gives you lemons, you make it appealing. <laughs> Great pun. For anyone who knows Rachel, you know that whenever you speak with her, it's going to be filled with puns. But this is one of those times where you have to be prepared. You have to lay out your backups and you need to have an approach for what you're going to do here. We had video scope with a hyperangulated blade and DL with a standard geometry blade available. Unfortunately, we did not have a flexible intubating endoscope. I wish we did. Our plan was to go with video scope with a hyperangulated blade then DL with a standard geometry blade with bougie, and then finally crike. I was working with a third-year EM resident 
So while he was going with the video scope, I was getting ready for a crike with cleaning and marking the neck. We verbalized this plan to the room so everyone wasn't surprised if we ended up performing the crike. It was just the normal progression of our airway plan. We gave her both ketamine and propofol and her eye movement stopped. She had also already received some levetiracetam at that point. The problem was that she was still GCS3 and at that point not breathing. So we decided to paralyze and then intubate. The first attempt with the video scope and the hyperangulated blade did not provide a great view. The resident ended up switching to bougie with the standard geometry blade and then got it. We quickly confirmed tube placement with ultrasound by seeing bilateral lung sliding and one shadow in the trachea. We had propofol running and we ended up admitting her to the ICU. Man, that sounds like an absolutely challenging and humbling case, but you are super impressive and that patient was real lucky to have you. I got one more fun case for you if you're down for it. Yeah, let's hear this last one. A 52-year-old male was brought in by ambulance with a code STEMI activation in the field for ST depressions with rocket-like tall T waves in V2 through V4. Oh man, very concerning. What cardiology say? Unfortunately, they were a little hesitant at first without clear ST elevations with reciprocal depressions. Those sound like the winter T waves to me. Thankfully, that arguing with a cardiologist to take this patient to the cath lab is now coming to a close. The ACC published an expert consensus statement in October of 2022. I was really excited when it came out because it covers some great topics. I was also pretty pumped about that, which shows the listeners just how nerdy we actually are. Britt, what part left the greatest impact on you? I think one of the most important updates for emergency clinicians is their section on STEMI equivalence. First, and I think most people know this, that STEMI-non-STEMI dichotomy is not sensitive at all. We're missing at least a third of acute coronary occlusions with that STEMI versus non-STEMI breakdown. So the new push has been to use occlusion myocardial infarction or acute coronary occlusion. What does the ACC delineate as acute coronary occlusion markers that would be considered STEMI equivalents? The ACC now states that in the absence of ischemic ST segment elevation, the ECG should be examined for other changes that have been associated with coronary artery occlusion. When present, these should prompt evaluation for emergence coronary angiography. These other changes are first, left bundle branch block or a ventricular paced rhythm with Scarbosa criteria or the Smith modified Scarbosa criteria, second, posterior STEMI, third, hyperacute T waves, and finally, the winter T waves. We'll have links to some examples for these in the show notes. The major takeaway here, though, is that if you have one of these findings on the ECG and you're clinically concerned about the patient, you're completely backed up by the ACC consensus statement in activating the cath lab. I see that the ST elevation in AVR with pan-ST depression didn't make the cut, which Amul Matu has been kind enough to find that this isn't necessarily ischemia, but includes other differentials. 
but we called cardiology, who was super responsive, and they immediately took the patient to the cath lab and found 100% proximal LED occlusion. Wow, great application of the updated guidelines to not wait for those classic STEMI changes. That saved the patient. It was awesome to help expedite him to the proper intervention based on the newest ACC guidelines. There you have it, a few very tricky but important cases. Rachel, thanks for coming on the podcast. We covered hyperthermia and the need for cooling, septic shock with urinary obstruction, non-convulsive status epilepticus, and finally, the updated ACC consensus statement on STEMI equivalents. Thanks for listening to the emdocs.net podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. 